This is Dion Blumenrader with Big Hoss One Sauce, and you're listening to the best show on all things barbecue with my man, Greg Rempe. Start the game! Let's go! I'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. Originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. The barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here for your Tuesday night's live fire fun and profoundly show. If you want to jump in tonight, nobody ever wants to jump in on the phone calls, but if you want to jump in on the phone calls or the emails, here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, said BBQ Central Show. Everything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you can get the newsletter, which is where you can also sign up for that if you aren't already at the main website. Among sponsorship opportunities and sponsor links and history of the show and full extensive archives of the show, the main website, the clearinghouse for everything. So while I would love for you to subscribe to the podcast through your various platforms, if you have any questions about anything, always go to the main website and go from there. In about 12 minutes from now, it is the third Tuesday of the month, if you can believe it or not, 2021 rapidly coming to a close, and we will be joined by regular third Tuesday of the month guest, the creator of BarbecueBible.com, the host of Project Fire, formerly Project Smoke. He is a live fire cooking class instructor at Barbecue University, which we will also be talking about. You know him, you love him. It's Stephen Reichlin joining us as always. 35 past the hour. First timer to the show. He is a barbecue historian. He has written no less than two books on barbecue history. One was so prolific and things have changed so much in the last 10 years that he went back and revised a huge book of barbecue. That, of course, Robert Moss, first-timer to the show, will be joining us at 9.35. And for those of you who have not caught Robert on other shows or read his writings at robertfmoss.com, you can check him out right here on this show for your first time this evening with a little background about him and his introduction and history with the live fire industry and we'll talk about writing and journalism we'll talk about that book and then we'll get into some general barbecue topics not the least of which would be 
what two or three things have changed or have been the biggest changes causing that rewrite of the book. So stay tuned for 35 Past, a first-time visit with Robert Moss and probably won't be the last-time visit. Then we'll move to the second hour. I'll tell you, while I've had this first hour booked for weeks on end, I also had the second hour booked weeks on end. And then overnight, and I have no idea if this is holding true as to why this happened, the second hour took a large dump, and that was it. So quickly throwing out lines to see who could make it. And stepping up to fill the void, none other than Weber's pitmaster and grillmaster, Kevin Kevin Coleman, will be joining us from Weber Grills. The last week, Meathead and I talked about Weber's latest introduction with their smart grill technology or connected grill technology, both on the Genesis and Spirit line. That will make its way into conversation. We'll talk smoke fire. We'll talk about a rebrand on the Summit Charcoal on the Summit Charcoal Grill as well. You might find that interesting. Bunch of stuff. Plus, there's a travel grill that might be introduced later in the year. So Kevin Coleman will help us round out this show. Your phone calls and emails as well, 216-220-0966 or greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. You can follow me socially if you don't already. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the snaps at BBQ Central Show. Facebook and Twitch have a live video stream. You can find me there on those respective websites slash BBQ Central Show. Uh, video stream also on the tubes slash RD Rempe. Listener feedback. Oh, and there was a bunch of it on the interview with Mo Case on second hour of last week. So if you're just joining me for the first time ever and you're a fan or non-fan of Mo Case on, then you will want to, after the show, go find the video or audio or video archives of the show from last week and go into the second hour where you will find a visit, two-segment visit, by the way, from Mo Case on. Here is a smattering of reaction, and I'll sit here and tell you that over the course of the week and through hundreds of emails and social media direct messages and non-direct messages, by and large, running 50-50, the lead-up to the interview with Mo, anticipation running 50-50. So after the fact or post-interview, it was both heartening and uh, a little shocking that we ran 50-50 on the feedback. For instance, Dennis in Colorado loved Mo. Had a chance to meet the man two summers ago at the Denver Barbecue Festival. Made awesome cue. Really enjoyed his baked beans as well. But really, chewing ice on a mic? May have a sip of water instead next time. What are you talking about? Was there ice chewing going on? Leonard in New York wrote, hi, Greg, if it needed to be proven again, this week's show is all the proof needed as to why you are the greatest of all time. The Mo Kaysan interview was exceptional. I had the honor of meeting Mo a couple of years ago at the Barbecue Guru's Monolith Monster Fest at their headquarters in Warminster, Pennsylvania. He is exactly as he said, a really nice down-to-earth guy, just funny slash odd takeaway. Mo is a Loud ice eater. Indeed. Steve in Tennessee writes, The Mo Kaysan segment was one of your best ever, Greg. So typical, say something stupid and blame it on the reporter. You let him talk and just kept shoveling the dirt on his own grave. Regards, Steve. 
Ron Happ jumped in. I'm a humble guy. Munch, munch, crunch, crunch. If I say your food is raggedy, then it's raggedy. I know what good food is. I cook great food. Justin McCabe wrote it. So after listening to the ice chomping, what I gathered is his restaurant, in quotes, will be nothing more than a famous Moe's, since he will have no involvement in the actual operation. A lot of talk about how he would operate a restaurant and wouldn't pull a single piece of meat from the cooker until done. Yet he won't actually be around to share his cooking methods. He's nothing more than a name for this project. Justin, I would recommend that you go back and re-listen. He did say that he was going to be in the restaurant. He was going to be giving his methods. He was going to be implementing processes. But, of course, it would be on the day-to-day folks to make sure that they're implemented when he is not there. He also did not specify how often he would be there. But let's make sure that we understand that as correct first. Eric Watts also jumped in. Basically, I picked up two main things from this conversation. Number one, most states everything in this article, as he said, to be 100%. Then, says he'd never read the article himself. Number two... He's a humble guy and then proceeds to talk about 10 minutes for how great he is. I'm fairly new to barbecue, but from a business standpoint, I don't see this lasting long. Dennis McKeelson also weighed in. Having hung out with him in person, he puts on no airs. After he taught his class, he sat down on a cooler and was just a normal guy. He definitely has a special place in his heart for veterans. Vincent Eck also jumped in. I don't know if I'm saying your last name right, Vincent, so I apologize if I'm not. Having been listening to him, the man sounds passionate about what he does and wants perfection. Isn't that what we all strive for? Corey Gardner also wrote in, he's a friendly face is all. I know him personally. He sold out years ago. I was destroying. I was 16 and destroying him every damn weekend. He's a mediocre cook at best. Larry Durden with the final weigh-in as we go to the first break and get ready for Stephen Reichland. Greg, thank you for that interview. It was entertaining. There you go. So, as you see it, a 50-50 split, more or, le- mo, more or less, on the Mo Kaysan interview. A lot of you pointing out the ice chomping. I get it. Some of you saying, hey, this is Mo. This is who he is. I'm down with the brand. I'm down with him. Let's stick with it. Others saying, I'm not down with what he did. Everybody's got an opinion, as Mo said. His opinion. I will give you my take at the top of the second hour. Stephen Reichlin is ready to go. So stand by. I'll talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today, and my words only, getting jobbed right now in the barbecue world in legal ease. We don't like that. Come on. In the meantime, you still have a choice line of Green Mountain Grills to choose from. You also have a prime line of Green Mountain Grills to choose from. You also have a prime plus if you want. Now, if you're like me, You don't have to have all that technical stuff. If you just want a great pellet cooker that's easy to use, get the choice line. You can save a couple bucks. It comes in both the Jim Bowie and the Daniel Boone sizes. If you want to spend a couple extra bucks because you like technology, you want app control, you want ability to adjust those cookers, 
You want peek-in windows on the main cooking chamber and pellet hopper, internal meat probes, all that fun stuff. Primeline is going to be one that you want to take a look. If you want to step it up even a notch more with actual headlights in the cooking chamber, Prime Plus. More robust builds on the Plus and on the Prime. But again, it's all up to you. If you're somebody that knows their way around a cooker and you just want something that's going to keep nice and even temperatures, I would say go with the Choice Wine. Otherwise, make sure that you are up to speed on all the other stuff. They sell through dealers, right? So go to GreenMountainGrills.com and check out where the nearest Green Mountain Grill dealer is to you. And then you can go see them in person. Ask all the questions you want there to the sales folks on the floor. They are trained to answer and make sure you have success right out of the box. Pellet grills are hot. They will continue to be hot in 2021. And there's certainly no better option than Green Mountain Grills right now. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. We're back with the one and only Stephen Reichland. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic temperature control devices. Ceramic cookers, cabinet-style insulated cookers, accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Go to green <laughs> bbqguru.com. That's bbqguru.com. And check out what they have. Continuing to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. Central Ice, the third Tuesday of the month, means it's time to do a segment with an icon in the industry, a host of TV shows, creator of the very popular Project Fire TV show, author of Barbecue Bible and a host of other barbecue books as well. We go to the hotline and welcome back regular guest Stephen Reichland. Hey, Stephen, how are you? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? I am fine. Uh, any way you can like uh, rotate that uh, pad by chance? I think if I do that, I go uh, on my side. Hey, I apologize really? here. I'm having problems with my computer. Oh, dear. Uh, don't charge, oh, dear. and uh, it's uh, so I'm obliged to talk to you on cell phone today. Yes, no problem. Yeah. So uh, sounds good, and uh, we are here with Stephen Reichland, of course. So we have a couple of different things to talk about here, Stephen, and uh, the first thing that I wanted to lead with, as I uh, am a regular visitor to your website, is a blog post on Skirt Steak, and I think we have enough years of knowing each other now, Stephen, where I'm not abashed to share with you my uh inequalities when it comes to having sampled meats and other various stuff here uh, now, this this isn't going to be another caviar conversation is it uh no absolutely not i have had skirt steak uh, two or three times but i have to say it's not normally on my radar it's not normally something that as i go into the butcher or if i'm just in the meat case at the grocery store that i'm you know, looking for, uh, but then I see a post on your website and immediately I'm 
re-inspired to say, hey, this is something maybe I should be looking more into. And so let's talk a little bit about skirt steak and where it comes from. I know there's this like inside skirt steak and outside skirt steak and you know we can uh, hash it out from there. But let's talk a little bit about skirt steak on the whole uh, from the top. Okay, basically, well, you know, steaks come from two basic parts of the steer, right? You've got uh, steaks from the top part of the steer eating high off the hog, you'd say, if it were uh, a pork. And that would be your uh, rib steaks, your ribeyes, your filet mignon, your New York strips. And then you've got your belly steaks, which are thinner, much more fibrous, uh, tougher intrinsically, uh, but loaded with flavor. And your belly steaks include uh, flank steak. They include uh, skirt steak, which is one of my favorites. Uh, I think originally it was popular because it was cheap and flavorful. Uh, today, it's not so cheap all the time. Uh, it was really popularized by uh, Tex-Mex food, a uh, dish called fajitas. Fajita means girdle, uh, literally in Spanish. And uh, that is the Mexican Spanish name for a skirt steak. Um, you're, you're talking about a piece of meat that's maybe a quarter to a half an inch thick. Uh, it's maybe three inches wide and, uh, it can actually be quite long. Um, it is, uh, well marbled, uh, but characterized by these, uh, transverse fibers. So the key to cooking skirt steak, hot fire, quick cook, don't take it more than uh, medium rare, and most important, slice, slice it very, very thinly across the grain so you shorten those meat fibers. Is there a difference? I mean, obviously the words would tell you there's a difference, or what is the difference between outside and inside skirt steak? Uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've got to admit to you, you got me there. Uh, that's the... Uh, I, I'm not familiar with those terms. When you're cooking skirt steak, though, so you, you give us the, the general idea, you know, hot and fast cook, medium rare, tops, uh, thinly sliced. Is there any other way to, to serve it? Could you eat it like, uh, you know, uh, let's say, uh, you know, 12 inches to 36 inches, like a, um, pieces like you would get a steak or just you, you want oh, to yeah, cut it Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. No, absolutely. When you go to the Argentinian Uruguayan restaurants down here in Miami, that's how they serve it. You know, a big plate bearing steak. Uh, actually, the kids in our family just uh, just love it. It's um, you know, it's it's affordable. It's it's kind of a funny trade off with steaks. You know, the most tender steak is the filet mignon, of course, but that's also the steak with the least flavor. Uh, you get to something like a skirt steak or a hanger steak, and they are loaded with flavor, but, you know, they're a little tougher, a little bit more fibrous. Do you think that uh, filet mignon is popular on menus because people tell you it's good? Or do you think that the popularity of filet is solely due to the fact that it is so much more tender than most of the other cuts available? Well, I would say, first of all, it's easy. Um, you know, it's, we like things easy in America and we like our steaks tender and, you know, we like things like cuts, you know, phrases like, uh, that slices as though a knife through, you know, a hot knife through butter and stuff like that. Um, I'm personally not a big, uh, big filet mignon eater unless you marinate the hell out of it. Uh, when I do get filet mignon, I'll do like a Korean, uh, 
bulgogi marinade or you know something with a lot of flavor to beef up the flavor I have to tell you, I hate filet. Um, I, I don't want to look down at anybody that says that that's their favorite cut, but I mean, there's easily 10 other cuts of steak that I would rather have before filet. And by the way, for, you know, as easy as you say, unless if you want anything past medium rare, it does become quite a, an obstacle to cook because typically if you're going anywhere that's decent, uh, you know, they could be two inches thick or three inches thick or four inches thick. And if you tell the waitress or waiter, if you're out at a restaurant, that you want a medium-plus filet, there's just no way in hell that they're going to execute medium-plus. They're going to do medium-rare at best, and it's probably going to be medium-rare minus uh, more than medium-rare-plus. So uh, I think that it is actually a, a probably a more difficult piece of meat to cut than most of the other stuff. To, to cook. Uh, yeah, there is actually a way to do that. Not that anybody would want to do it, uh, medium plus, but, uh, you know, uh, you sear it uh, on the top, the bottom, and the sides, and then you put it in the oven, or I guess on a grill, you would indirect grill it, and you can take it to this as well done as, uh, as you might wish for. That's not something I would do. By the way, uh, I have a recipe in my book, Project Fire, that's about the best way I know to cook a filet mignon. All right. And first of all, it's dry brine. So you hit it with salt and uh, you let it sit for a couple of hours. The salt pulls out some of the liquid, uh, the juices that can reabsorb. And then I do uh, Adam, what Adam Perry Lang calls a board sauce. So the hot filet goes on top of a mound of raw chopped garlic, chili, cilantro, the scallions. Uh, you douse it with olive oil and then you thinly slice the steak. On top of all those ingredients, the heat of the steak partially cooks them, uh, slicing them, chops the vegetables, the whole thing mix up, the steak juices, the olive oil. And that really is a, a pretty spectacular dish, you know, even though it is filet mignon. Uh, Stephen, I had mentioned at the top that you are the host of Barbecue University and you have been doing that for any, no, I mean, has it been 14 years or maybe even longer? It's actually coming on a coming on our 20th year believe it wow, or not beef. yeah so quite a while yep. um uh, what is the status of barbecue university this year well so we moved the school last year to a gorgeous resort called Monta montage palmetto bluff in bluffton south carolina deep in the heart of uh the south carolina low country uh COVID hit, of course. We did manage to get a class done with COVID safety last year, and we were uncertain where we were going to be there this year, but we just announced about a week ago uh, that uh, Barbecue University will take place. It's over Father's Day weekend. That is June 17th through 20th. Uh, we'll be putting the enrollment information up on my barbecuebible.com website uh, in the next week or so. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. It's a very cool place. Uh, we have tried to incorporate, you know, I always try and do sort of each region where I've done the school. I started it in West Virginia, so that kind of came with a certain set of flavors and traditional dishes. Then we were out in Colorado. Uh, we did kind of a more mountain cuisine. Now we're down on the Gulf Coast, so you can imagine that oysters, shrimp, uh, fish, will figure very prominently in this year's menu. Uh, you're going to be doing any uh, classes on whole hog barbecue since you're going to be down there too? <laughs> uh, actually, I'm hoping to get the original whole hog guy over to be a guest lecturer for us. Uh, Rodney Scott? 
You bet. Wow, we yeah, that would be insane. Now, Ro- now Rodney, if you're listening, you don't know this yet because I haven't reached out to you, but uh, that is my hope and plan. There you go. That's the preemptive invitations as we are sending them out here on the Barbecue Central show. Uh, what is the the history of the school like? How did this whole thing come to be? You had been on uh, PBS for any number of years. That's where I first found you and fell in live fire love with you. But where does where does this barbecue university idea come up? Is it some is it something where somebody says, "Hey, Stephen, you should put on something," or do you pitch it around and see who takes it? Well, first of all, got to make sure we have an adult audience uh, listening to your show because there may be a controlled substance or two uh, behind this story. All right. But after the uh, barbecue Bible came out, uh, one night I sat down, uh, and it was a night that may or may not have been substance enhanced, and I made a list of all the things I wanted to do with barbecue. And let's see, one of them was I wanted to do a TV show, I wanted to do more books, I wanted to create a website. Uh, I wanted to create a line of products. I wanted a foreign presence. I wanted to take my message, you know, to some of the foreign countries where I speak the languages. And I also wanted to create a school called Barbecue University. (laughs) So I wrote that down on that list. I kept the list in my wallet like I always do when I want to accomplish something. And lo and behold, uh, I had been a guest instructor at the Greenbrier at their cooking school in West Virginia. And then uh, the opportunity, I had this idea, Barbecue University, I proposed it, uh, the, uh, the Green Bar liked it, and lo and behold, Barbecue University was in business. Now, it was there for quite a number of years, so did you sign years, a, yeah. was, did you sign like a three, four, or five year contract right off the bat, or was, was it always a year to year, let's see how it goes? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't actually remember, but I do remember that life 20 years ago was a lot less legalese and a lot more done by handshake than it is today. So uh, I think it was probably just a handshake. Uh, Stephen Reichland joining us here on the show. BarbecueBible.com is the website, of course. Uh, there is the Grilling Vegetables book that uh, we are hoping to see uh, this year at some point, potentially. Uh, you're going to see it in uh, May. I think All the right. official pub date is... Uh, May 1st or May 7th, something like that. But actually, uh, tomorrow will be a a day of celebration. The photos for the book went off to the color separator on Friday. Uh, The manuscript is going off to the printer. Probably the whole manuscript went off today. And I've just been reviewing the cover. uh, And that will go, uh, my corrections on that will go in tomorrow and will be... uh, The book will be at the printer uh, this week, and thus out of my hands, which is uh, a wonderful, wonderful stage to be at for a writer because, you know, you think you write the book, you finish it, you hit send, that's it. But, man, it comes back to you again and again and again and again. And uh, once it goes to the printer, there's nothing else you uh, have to do with it. So that feels real good. I don't think there's any more prolific writer in the live fire industry than you are do you already have another book that's already been started or at least conceptualized well i've got a couple of books on the back burner that i'm thinking about uh nothing under contract yet uh but uh but one is a uh one is a possible well one is a possible novel involving the barbecue world. You may remember that a uh, half dozen years ago I wrote a novel called uh Island Apart. Now uh 
reissued with the original title, which is The Hermit of Chappaquiddick. And uh, writing fiction was really fun for me. So um, I'm thinking that there will be uh, another another Reichlin novel at some point. So, it, I mean, is it conceptually around some kind of barbecue thing, but then there's a whole other uh, crescendoing story or something along these lines, and it just happens to be like maybe a guy that cooks whole hogs for a living or something? Yeah, you know, ultimately, any novel that's sort of set in a milieu uh, that's highly technical, like barbecue or like horse racing or uh, like 12-step programs. I mean, I'm thinking of all the whodunits. Uh, what really makes them interesting are the characters and the situations. And in a way, the world that you describe, in this case, it were, if it were the world of competition barbecue, uh, you know, that would be a spice, but it would not, the, the, the reason people will want to keep turning the pages is because of the characters. Uh, Stephen, you're in the process of editing The Killer Barbecue? Editing The Killer Barbecue. Like uh, Hold the Meat Show for for the project oh right, 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 right. yeah 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 i'm sorry yeah that particular show is called uh killer barbecue hold the meat right Aha. it's our vegetarian show this year i say that with trepidation to your audience but uh yes i am actually doing one meatless show in the uh series uh and uh you know it's funny this uh this seems to be the month of uh final edits but uh we taped the show in september it comes back to me in what's called a rough cut, which is basically they have roughed out the time. They've, uh, you know, we have four cameras going at any given time, at least. Sometimes we have even more. So what they've done in the rough cut is they've said, okay, well, this sequence will be with the camera on the dolly, and this sequence will be the overhead boom shot. And they put it all together. I watch it, and then, you know, we all watch it, and we figure out, well, uh, this part is great. You know, gee, I sound really stupid here. Do you have another angle? Um uh you know this is the, the, this this section is not clear how can we make it more clear and it's really a chance to fine-tune the show so that's where we are and then the next step will be i'll lay over the voiceover so once we get it to time then i come in and i drop in the voiceover they drop in the music so it's an interesting process no doubt um is there a theme for next year's project fire well, there is. Uh, actually, we're talking about two themes, and maybe your viewers can uh, sound in. So right. one is a salute to America, and we're thinking about doing a show uh, on regional American barbecue, but sort of the lesser-known regions. You know, everybody knows Kansas City and Texas, and I'm looking for regions that you might not be familiar with. The other idea is a Stephen Reichland's greatest hits show where I will go through and pick out uh, – the uh, the best, my favorite recipes, the most iconic recipes I've done over the last 25 years and build a show around that. Yeah. So I throw it out to you all. You can, you know, do an informal poll. Uh, uh, let Greg uh, know or come on my website, barbecuebible.com or my Facebook page and tell me what you're thinking. All right. Uh, you can go to barbecuebible.com. That's the website. You can follow Stephen on social media. It's Stephen Reichlin. He is the regular third Tuesday of the month guest. Stephen, really appreciate the time as always, and we will see you in March. Absolutely, and I hope I'll be back on my uh, regular computer by then. Thanks no problem. Do a great job. Grill on, everybody. All right, there he is, Stephen Reichlin, right there, showing up on the show.
The third Tuesday of every month. That's right. Dino Dan weighing in on what might be inspiring Stephen Reichlin. He says hippie lettuce. I thought of the same. I don't think he's going down Sam the cooking guy's area of expertise in history. I don't want to say that that's fact. I don't know. I would be willing to guess that Stephen and Sam uh, didn't follow the same enhancement roads, if you will. By the way, I did see this coming across as well. It sounded like somebody might be lobbing a phone call in. That's the number. It's only been the number for the last 10 years. I say it any number of times through the show. 216-220-0966. Email is greg at the BBQ. CentralShow.com. All right, let's go ahead and make room for Robert Moss. I'll talk to you quickly first, though, about Primo Grills, the website Primo Grill, singular, PrimoGrill.com. Here's the difference between all the other ceramics and a Primo. Primo's oval. That's right, the shape is way different. So your eggs and your... Kamado Joe's and all the other ones, they're round, of course. And while you might think you have the ability to do a true two-zone cook, you not really, not with round. But you can with oval, because it's oval. You push all the lit coals on one side, you put your divider in, and now you have a completely void space with no coals on it. That's your second zone. So you can cook directly over the coals, or you can put the meat over the no coals area. You have true two-zone cooking right there on the Primo. A number of sizes to choose from in the oval section. You have the extra large. You also have an extra large Jack Daniels edition. You have a large and you have a junior. Now, if you can't get out of your own way or you seem not to care that much about two-zone cooking, but you want to have a Primo instead of anything else, Good news, Primo also makes round ceramic cookers if you have to have a round one. They also have an extra large gas ceramic cooker. So if you're looking for something to really get the neighbors talking, you can say, oh, well, I have a ceramic gas grill. Then watch their heads explode. PrimoGrill.com is the website. Once again, that's PrimoGrill.com. And we will be right back with first-time guest Robert Moss. Right here on the show. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Stick around. We'll be right back. Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Hey, this portion being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets. For all of your pellet-driven cookers, you can visit CookinPellets.com. That's C-O-O-K-I-N. CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase or to see what other products they have. You can also visit 
Amazon.com to purchase as well. We tried to line up CB for the second hour, and he said, there's too much snow in Wisconsin. I can't do it. Plowing and blowing and whatever the hell else you do to remove snow out there in Wisconsin. Hey, my second guest tonight in the first hour is one of the premier authorities when it comes to writing about Southern food and drink. His most recent book is Barbecue, the History of an American Institution Revise and Expanded Edition was released at the end of 2020. So if you like reading books, you might want to go grab a copy and see what's changed since the first version of this book, which came out about 10 years ago. Here to talk about a number of live fire topics is contributing barbecue editor for Southern Living Magazine and first timer here to the show. We race to the hotline and welcome in Robert Moss. Hey, Robert. Hey, Greg. How you doing? I'm fine and appreciate you making time for the show. Glad oh, to sure meet thing. you uh, virtually here, yep. <laughs> and I've been meaning to get you on the show for some time now, and uh, you know, like all my best laid plans, I mean to do that, and then 50 other things come up, and eventually it bubbles up, and here we are. So uh, before right. we get into some of the barbecue topics that we wanted to banter back and forth about, maybe just a quick background about yourself, uh, where you grew up, and where you're headquartered at right now. Yeah, well, I'm a South Carolinian, so I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, in the western part of the state, but I'm now in Charleston, down in the eastern part of the state. I've been down here since 2002, so almost almost two decades now, but definitely a, a Carolinian uh, through and through. I assume barbecue being a Carolinian through and through has always been something you have been around or at least been uh, taking part in in some form or fashion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I vaguely recall as a, a really small kid going to what you might call a pig pick, and I don't know if we called them them that back then, but where there was a whole hog laid out. And but you know, I don't remember that that it being barbecue being a huge part of growing up in in uh in, in South Carolina. Yeah, you know, I was in suburban Greenville mostly, uh, and so it's usually you know, the occasional barbecue or stop by a restaurant, something like that. So it really wasn't until you know, and that was at a period. This was in the eighties and nineties when barbecue was pretty low uh, and sinking uh, on the American restaurant scene before it's sort of remarkable revival. So it really wasn't until I was probably, you know, college age that I really started getting into barbecue in a big way in the sense of first, you know, eating at restaurants and then starting to cook stuff in the backyard. Did you think that maybe barbecue was just going to go away? I mean, it's been around for hundreds of years, steeped traditions, you know, going all the way back to the slave days, obviously. But did you think it was going to go away? Well, um, you know, when I discovered it, and not that not, not, I was the first one to discover it, when I first started becoming acquainted with it, uh, you know, when I was in, in college, um, people didn't make a big deal about it. It was really low on the radar screen. It was just sort of this food that was off on the, uh, off on the side, uh, on the, on the, uh, you know, off the, on the side. And so I don't know if you, people even realized that it was fading out and you didn't realize that you were about to lose it. So it felt like at the time, you know, this is when, you know, as a teenager, I was eating Burger King and McDonald's and fast food and all that kind of stuff. It sort of felt like I was discovering this sort of hidden secret because um, it really was not well known at that time. It really wasn't until, you know, around the, around 2000 that you started to get the rise of competitions. You started getting the rise of food t- television and people started writing about barbecue that really started coming back. So it was almost like I never thought about it enough to, to think whether it might disappear or not. It was something you sort of just this weird food you already sort of took for granted, I think. Have you always been a writer? Um, well, I got a PhD in English, of all things, uh, which is a strange way to get into writing about barbecue. But, Are you going to be a um, teacher? 
uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I ended up then, you know, taking up that that and going into the software industry as so a logical course course of events. Um, but I'll, I've always been a writer, sort of, you know, as a hobby and stuff. And it became more and more of a, you know, something I did on the side as I was working in the software industry, and then became a bigger and bigger part of my uh, my day. And uh, so. No, not always a food writer, but I always was interested in writing in, in, in one form or another since I was, you know, probably a teenager. So I probably misspoke. Dr. Robert Moss joining us here on the show. RobertFMoss.com <laughs> is the website if you want to check it out here while we're talking. Uh, you have revised the book that I had mentioned in the open because you said that so much has changed over the past 10 years. Uh, I'm going to ask you a pointed question here in a second. But let me ask you this before we get to those pointed questions. I refer, let's say, you know, probably right around 10 years ago, we were in the midst of what I would call the golden age of barbecue. And what I mean by that is it was everywhere on television. Pitmasters was well into its wheelhouse at that point. It had already been seen in two or three different versions on various high-numbered uh, cable tele-HLN, outdoor life, you know, things that nobody ever went mm-hmm. to unless you were a hunter I don't even know if anybody hunts, but uh, you, you were seeing competition barbecue in its rudimentary forms. It was a Chris Lilly and John Marcus brainchild getting on the television, but then it really seemed to catch hold with Pitmasters and its varying forms over a 10 or 11 season run. And that brought in a huge interest into the competition scene. Uh, perhaps that brought even more attention to the restaurant scene and really showcasing those meccas of barbecue, the Carolinas, Texas, Kansas City, and Memphis. Was that like the best time of barbecue 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago? Um, I don't know. I, I, in the book, I, in the original book, uh, which, which came out in 2010, I called the 1950s and sort of like 1950s, early 60s, the golden age of barbecue. Because that is when, if you think of all the classic barbecue restaurants, that you know you think of today a, a few of them go back before the uh be- before world war ii but most of them were founded in the 50s and 60s that's sort of when barbecue dominated the restaurant scene this is before the rise of mcdonald's and, and everything else uh and those restaurants everybody's cooking on wood it was sort of uh you know what we think of today is classic classic barbecue so that was a, definitely a high point but um you know that period you're talking about is right when the book came out and barbecue was coming back from obscurity. The low point was somewhere in the 80s um, where it almost, almost disappeared as a, as a restaurant food, at least. Um, but competitions were coming along. Barbecue Pitmasters and other shows really brought a whole new new load of people who weren't interested into it. But I'm not sure if that was actually the, the high point or not. If you recall, in around 2009, I guess, 2010 is when Aaron Franklin sort of hit it big. And coincided with the rise of social media and blogs and, you know, the internet making things move fast. But that was really like when craft barbecue was getting started. So you sort of had the competitions heating up. You had craft barbecue coming along. But when I wrote the first edition of the book, I sort of ended it on this sort of, sort of like ambivalent note because barbecue was coming back. But it was, you know, it was still this sort of different kind of, uh, fusion in particular things like whole hog barbecue cooked over wood that was disappearing even you know in 2010 2011 the, there you could count on you know, you know on two hands the the number of whole hog joints there that were left in, in the united states and then what happened remarkably in the last 10 years really in the last you know five years or so is we've seen this a remarkable resurgence of 
not just the Texas Central uh, Central Texas style brisket, but revival of whole hog, revival interest in things like hash, and revival of in, of wood cooked, uh, you know, traditional wood cooked barbecue. So I would I don't know if I'd say ten years ago was the golden age. I think we're still in it. I think it's it's still getting bigger and better with with each passing year. So within those ten years of first book release until now. In your estimation, what are the two or three biggest changes that we've had over the decade? Well, I think the two two big things. One is um, when I first wrote the book, very few people had written about the history of barbecue, and, and what was written was mostly you know, it was it was short and is mostly focused on early restaurants, like restaurants in the early twentieth century. But no one really had written much about barbecue back before you know before nineteen hundred. And what's happened since I wrote the book, and I wasn't the only one, but it just wasn't at the same time. A lot of other people were getting interested in it. We've had just a lot more people write, you know, dig into the history. And so we just know a lot more about the history. Of course, the history hasn't changed. We've just uncovered a, lo- a lot more about it. So that was one reason to, to do a new, new edition is I really was able to go back and flesh out the story a lot more uh, and, and add in a lot more details. So I think that's one, one big thing. But the other one is really um, the book came out. Uh, I, I sent it to the press about the same time as Aaron Franklin was opening up his trailer there on the side of the interstate in in Austin, and so we really have seen just this remarkable revival of what you might call craft barbecue or, or serious, uh, to, you know, new neo traditionalist barbecue um, in the in the last ten years, and it's really changed the landscape a lot. It's hard going back and writing that new chapter that I added about, which covers basically the last 10, 10 years. I really, it, it, a lot happened I had forgotten about in the space of really just 10 years. So I think those are sort of the two big things that have really changed a lot in, you know, in the last, uh, last 10 years. Do you think if Aaron Franklin wouldn't have come on the scene that we wouldn't have had the scene that we have been having? Wow. That was sounded really weird. Uh, yeah. That's like one of those big historical, you know, questions. Um, I, I don't believe in, in the great man theory of history per se, in the sense that uh, if, if Aaron Franklin hadn't come along, somebody else would have there. There was so much else that was sort of a ferment and other things were happening. He just sort of happened to be in the right place at the right time and, and had the right look and everything and, and sort of, um, I think, you know, struck a, a chord. But I think the, the, I think America was ready for, you know, that kind of sort of, old school, traditional, you know, sort of, sort of, um, you know, very focused type, type of revival. And uh, it sort of, you know, got happened at the same time that all of a sudden we got the internet, we had social media in ways that these things can just, just spin virally. And what's really amazing about how, if you look back at how Franklin blew up, he blew up so quickly in less than a year, really a matter of months. And it happened because Daniel Fong went down there back when you know he was right. I think he was still right before he was Texas Monthly. I still think he was still writing his blog and other bloggers and other people. You didn't have to wait for a magazine to run. It hit the internet right away, and people were you know I think it was a little bit before Twitter, but people were emailing it and sending it around, and it it blew up very very quickly. If it wouldn't have been Aaron Franklin, do you have any guesses on who the face would have been? Would it have been Tootsie at some point or? Would it have been, you know, the guy at uh, Kreutz? Uh, who knows? Yeah, probably not Tootsie because I don't think people would have gone out and discovered Snows if they hadn't first sort of gotten, you know, gotten in, really interested in, in it. It could well have been the the Lockhart places may, may have done it. 
Um, I, th- I think Sam Jones, you know, from Skylight Inn. Yeah, he's he's a good candidate because, you know, the difference between someone like a Tootsie and, and, and Aaron uh, Franklin is obviously that their ages are different. One's you know, younger and sort of, you know, you know you're hipper. I think Sam Jones is very different than Aaron Franklin, but he has that same kind of charisma and, and appeal. Um, of course, he, you know, if you read his book and, and if you talk to him when he first sort of got into it, he wasn't, you know, he was very shy. It wasn't, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't sort of made for TV, if you will. But I think someone like that and Roddy Scott's another good example. I think someone like that would have, you know, stepped up and emerged as sort of the the face of uh, the new barbecue revolution, if you will. Where do you see the next two to three years of barbecue? Is it going to be a lot of the same or is it going to be even more growth across all sections? Yeah, it's so hard to, to say for sure. You know, obviously the, the pandemic has thrown a wrench in everything. Um, but barbecue is actually compared to other restaurant, uh, genres. Obviously the barbecue guys were struggling like anybody else, but they, they've actually you know, done well. And you have a lot of people sort of moving into barbecue as sort of a, a more, uh, takeout friendly format. You know, I, I don't know for sure, but I think you're seeing the, um, the rise of a, a lot of new barbecue places you do barbecue hotbeds if you will i think los angeles is really interesting what's going on out there i think you may see some really cool stuff emerge uh, out of los angeles in, in the next couple of years all these pitmasters there sort of went to texas and sort of cribbed the brisket technique but now they're going back and they're 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 really digging into their own heritages they're they're, they're starting to to sort of integrate barbecue with all the other flavors and and background that that's in los angeles and so there's a really interesting uh, scene happening out there um, so, and so we'll see, but I, I think that we're going to see a lot more barbecue operations open up. I think you want to see a lot more, um, interesting large format outdoor kind of, uh, kind of venues and, and things like that. And so I, I think it will continue to grow at least for the next couple of years. Robert Moss joining us here on the show. Robert F com is the website. Uh, one last question before I let you go tonight and appreciate the yeah. time, Robert, you're in Charleston. What is the best barbecue in Charleston? I think a lot of people immediately want to say something that rhymes with Rodney Scott. But as somebody <laughs> who was there who was not Rodney Scott, what do you? What is your opinion? Well, I, I, I think um, I, I lived through uh, the, the rise of Charleston barbecue. When I first moved down here in 2002. I, I always will point to the, the the Bessinger family. So that's Melvin's and Bessinger's, which is sort of the original. Um, Midland style South Carolina barbecue. So your mustard sauce and your hash and rice. And so if you come to Charleston, uh, it's like, you can't just go to one. You have to sort of do a tour of all these, these places. So that's, if you start there, you sort of get the old school stuff. If you go to Rodney Scott's place on, on King street, uh, which opened in the last you know three or four years, um, that is the, a different South Carolina style. That's the PD uh, style of South Carolina barbecue, which is the whole hog vinegar sauce barbecue. And then you've got to check out, Swig and Swine, Home Team Barbecue, and then Lewis Barbecue, which are sort of the three of the sort of newer players on the scene. Lewis, of course, coming from Austin, so you can get really good brisket and a lot more here uh, from him. The Home Team guys are interesting because they're a bunch of fine dining chefs who went into barbecue and sort of created a whole this this whole interesting fusion of of barbecue with traditional chefy stuff. And then Swig and Swine is just a really interesting barbecue place as well. A uh, guy who came used to be a cook on a submarine, came through the fine dining wow. scene here in Charleston, but now uh, cooks whole hog and all kinds of other things here in Charleston. So if you go get those, you're going to get a, a really interesting cross-section of uh, South Carolina styles and, and styles from all over the place. Do you have any love for two smoking buttheads? 
Not sure who, who the two spoke about. What? <laughs> oh my god! The guy told me he was like the best barbecue restaurant in South Carolina. That people you don't know mm. two smoking buttheads. They're a competition no, team, but not. then they also have a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. it, it, which part of South Carolina are they in? You know, South. Yeah, part, one, of the, one of the Carolinas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's right. not not around me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. All right. I'll have to check it out though. They've they've got a, a good name on them. I'll have to send you the pitmaster's name, and then may I don't know how big. You know, I'm like every other American. I have no idea of geography other than where I live in Ohio. Yeah. So it could be eight hours away from you. I don't I don't even know if South Carolina is eight hours long. Probably not. But uh, maybe it's no, just it's too long. Four. So <laughs> I'll send you that. You can do uh, reconnaissance. We can have you back on and you can see if you want to add it to the list at that point. In the meantime, you can check out Dr. Robert Moss at robertfmoss.com. And you can also sign up for that newsletter. What's the newsletter that you're writing? It's called the Q Sheet. It's a weekly barbecue newsletter. comes out every Sunday. All right. So sign up for the Q Sheet as well. Again, robertfmoss.com is the website. Robert, really appreciate you coming on tonight and letting us get to know you and talking about a few barbecue topics and look forward to doing again soon. Uh, sure thing. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate right. it. You got it. There he is, Robert Moss. Yeah. Uh, robertfmoss.com and sign up for the Q Sheet if you want a weekly newsletter. Do it right there. Yeah, baby. See, everybody wants to go Rodney Scott. I now look. I don't think I was horns hoodwinked, run amok, bamboozled by the guy from Two Smoking Buttheads. What's his name, by the way? I can't remember it right off the top of my head. He was a great interview, but he said he had some really good South Carolina barbecue, maybe some of the best. So we'll get that over to Robert. He can check it out. We thank him for coming on. Great first time ever. Let me talk to you quickly about Cosmos Q as we get ready to wrap the first hour. Based out of Oklahoma, Cosmos Q has been providing both backyard and competition cooks, world champion level rub sauces, injection soaks, and brines. And their exclusive wing dust is currently available on the market this day. That's right. Best of all, everyone on their products. Every one of their products is made right here in the States with all natural ingredients. Cosmos Q continuing to break new ground in rubs, seasoning, sauces, and injections. And the results are not only proven on the competition trail year after year, but also proven in backyards as well. More and more backyard warriors are looking to take the barbecue to the next level, and there is no better or easier way to do that than by picking world championship quality rubs, sauces, injections, and marinades. And that's exactly what Cosmos Q brings to your table. Not only is the barbecue game covered, but there's a whole line of products to help amp up the grill game as well. By the way, Cosmos knows a little something about doing that grill thing. By the way, he's a world champion steak cook, if you didn't know that. Now, I know I've done a great job already trying to convince you at giving Cosmos a shot. If you haven't already, maybe you're a big customer. But if you need one more thing to push you over the edge, let me give you a promo code. It'll save 10% off your entire order each and every time you visit the website. By the way, that's K-O-S-M-O-S-Q, the letter Q.com. You can use promo code BBQ Central at checkout. Get 10% off the entire order. Snowed in, like most of us are today, no problem. You can use that checkout code right now and stock up on everything you need when barbecue season rolls around. If you're able to cook outside all year round or you're just macho and like to cook outside in the cold, you can use it to stock up on everything you want. Once again, that code is BBQ Central, 10% off at checkout while you're on the website. Be sure to check out their very popular recipe blog. And did you know they have quite the extensive YouTube channel as well? 
So if you aren't subscribed to that, head on over to YouTube, ring the bell, subscribe, and be alerted to their new content. See why Cosmos just wins. The website Cosmos Q, that's Cosmos with a K, Q, the letter Q, dot com. BBQ Central for 10% off. All right, we're back to wrap the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. This segment brought to you by Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, and Fireboard 2 Pro. Yeah. I mean... Fireboard 2 Pro. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi. <laughs> Can't believe I just did that. For cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant, you're in luck because Fireboard 2, 2 Drive, and 2 Pro. Pro. Fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. 816-945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive. And Fireboard 2 Pro. Get it today. That's what machismo sounds like. Has anybody ordered the Fireboard 2 Pro, the thermocouples? that can stand heat up to 1,200 degrees at probe. I believe John Solberg told me at wire it's 864 degrees or something like that. Anybody have the Pro? I want to know. I'll have you on the show. You can do a review. How about that? Greg of Gozer. That's right. Are you a god? (laughs) Ray? The next time somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Anybody name that movie? I will not give you a free prize. I will not give you a free prize. All right, we thank Robert Moss for joining us last segment, robertfmoss.com Dr. Robert F. Moss robertfmoss.com is the website. Sign up for the Q sheet and you can get your weekly updates, not to be confused with something called the Smoke Sheet which is put out by Sean and Ryan, Sean Ludwig and Ryan Cooper. Sign up for both and see like what matches up, what's different maybe different takes, all that stuff. We'll see. 
Uh, go ahead and refresh your libations as we get ready for the second hour. Don't forget Kevin Coleman will be joining us to talk about many Weber things as well as barbecue stuff in general. Your phone calls and emails are welcome as well. 216-220-0966. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. 